Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. All right, well, I am excited to dig into the amazing book of Romans. I do want to stop, though, before I start and say thank you to Pastor Mike, even though he's not here, but uh, I definitely expressed it already to him, and thankful that we had two months of him teaching in here, and uh, one of the, the verses that came to mind, or the verse that came to mind after uh, this summer with Pastor Mike is uh, the book in Hebrew, or the verse in Hebrews that reminds us that we should gather together, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together. And uh, the reason we do that is to provoke one another to love and good works. And I feel like this last two months, I've been provoked to love, love people, love souls, and to good works. Just do the right thing. Do a good thing for the Lord. And so, he was <coughs> late, but I'm glad you're back. I'm glad to be here too. But uh, yes, he did particularly uh, provoke us to win souls for Jesus. And what a great uh, testimony, at least this morning. But now we're going to spend some time in the book of Romans, or this book of the Bible that gives the most, most thorough explanation, as Dad mentioned a moment ago, the most thorough explanation of the gospel that we're talking about giving out to people. Uh, this whole thing, uh, what is it that we're at, this gift that we're giving to people, how does it work, what does it do, and uh, what is it that we're supposed to do in, in it and with it. And so I've chosen to title this series, the book of Romans, God's power to transform anyone. And we're going we're to see why we would title it that here today. Because I think we're going to look at the theme verses for the entire book of Romans. Romans is an interesting book. I'll explain, you know, anytime you start to go through this book, you're, as a teacher, I think you're a little bit with fear and trepidation because this is such an amazing work that you, you want to do it justice. And I, I understand we are all human, and so trying to go through this, but I, I feel that God wants us to, and I think it would be so good. So Romans is one of the greatest works ever written. It is a crescendo of the scriptures. It's been called the Magna Carta of the Christian faith. It's been called the Christian Manifesto. And one English poet called it the most profound work in existence. In the year 1510, an Augustinian monk named Martin Luther, was climbing the Scala Sancta, which is a set of steps in Rome. And it was said that if you climb all these steps on your knees, these 28 steps, then with each step, you can remove a loved one out of purgatory. And so you pray, you go up on your knees, and, uh, and you, can, you can get folks out. But when Luther, Martin Luther says, when I got to the top, I began to wonder truly in my heart, is this true? Is this doing anything? He went back to his monastery, so bothered by his own sin, uh, just so deeply under conviction that every day he would go to confession, sometimes several times a day, and it got to be so much that the priest he was always confessing to told him, stop coming. <laughs> you don't have to come for every little thing. Um, and go home and read the scriptures. Well, he did. He took that to heart, and he took a really deep, hard look at Romans 1 and verse 17. 
Here's what it says. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just or the righteous shall live by faith. So Martin Luther, the Catholic priest, went on to say after he fully understood that verse, here was his quote. Night and day I pondered until I grasped the truth that the righteousness of God is that righteousness whereby through grace and sheer mercy he justifies us by faith. Therefore, I felt myself to be reborn and to have gone through, the, through open doors into paradise. This passage of Paul became to me a gateway into heaven. Martin Luther was born again and the Reformation began in his heart. We don't live, we are, we're not justified by works, we're justified by faith. Fast forward 200 years, and in May of 1738, there was a spiritually dead minister and a missionary. His name was John Wesley. He reluctantly went to a small Bible study in London, and uh, he went into this Bible study, and the pastor was teaching on the book of Romans. And he was reading Martin Luther's commentary on the book of Romans. And when John Wesley heard what, what was said there that night in the book of Romans, it absolutely changed his life. Here's what he said. While he, the pastor, was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for my salvation. And an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine. John Wesley was saved that night in London. He, he was formerly in the Church of England, and God just changed his heart. And he, John Wesley, became the spark for the first Great Awakening, which had tremendous influence in England and here in America. It's this book of Romans that just is a catalyst for people understanding this Christian faith that we live in. And when a person really gets the truth that's in this book, that gospel transforming power changes everything. It puts a smile on a person's face and it makes everything seem different and life truly changes. And I just have to reflect back here these past two months, look at Pastor Mike. <laughs> How many times did he tell us his testimony? It's because he understood that he could be saved through Jesus, through this gospel that he so believes, and now his life is completely different. He gives out the gospel, <clears throat> and that's what can happen for anybody. The book of Romans is definitely a high point of the Bible. It provides unmatched clarity to the key doctrines, all the key doctrines, really, the major doctrines of our faith. There's a few, way to, few ways to kind of put this in outline, but I just want to share these with you real quick. Warren Wearsby and Adrian Rogers use this one. They... they Outline it this way, sin, salvation, sanctification, sovereignty, and service. Chapter 1 through 3 is sin, 4 through 5 is salvation, chapter 6 through 8 is sanctification, 9 through 11 sovereignty, and 12 through 16 is service. I like another outline that somebody gave, another pastor. He said, uh, it's the wrath of God we see, then we see the grace of God, then we see the plan of God, and then we see the will of God. These are all great. There's a million ways we could divide this up. But there's one I really like, very simple outline. I love this one. Here's what it is. Number, chapters 1 through 11, what to believe. Chapter 12 through 16, how to live. <laughs> I like that. Believe the gospel. 
believe the gospel. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus. We're going to talk about what it is and we can believe it. And then just live and surrender to Jesus. That really is as simple as this book gets when you boil it all down. And I hope we'll be recharged by the truths that we're going to look at, about the, the gospel, and, perhaps, and just living for Jesus, following him, obeying him. And, that, and maybe some of these things we haven't taken to heart for a while. And we need to just get a, a new glimpse at. Because when a person gets what God's saying and falls in love with Jesus, there is no stopping that Christian. There's just no stopping them. So let's start with the introduction here, this first few verses of the book of Romans, Romans 1, 1 through 17. And number one, we'll look at the great apostle and his one job. The great apostle and his one job. Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. So here we have the introduction. Paul lays it out for us. He first gives his name, the human author of this. We know, of course, we know the Holy Spirit planted this in Paul's mind and heart so he could pen it, but it was the human author here is Paul. Back then, they would put their names first on a letter like this so that they didn't have to, so a person, when they got the letter and they're opening the scroll, they didn't have to roll all the way to the bottom of the scroll, look who it's from, and then roll all the way back. Like today, <laughs> when we put our names at the end. This Paul guy here was a former Pharisee who used to be named Saul. He, his mom, probably and dad, probably named him after the first king of Israel, Saul. This young Saul growing up, this guy here, uh, was a well-educated Jewish theologian. He studied under the tutelage of Gamaliel, who was a renowned scholar. And that Gamaliel had a particular hatred for Christians. We know he hated Christianity uh, because some of his writings have survived antiquity. Here's a quote from Gamaliel, the teacher of Saul. Here's what he said. Let there be no hope to those, this is actually his prayer to God against the Christians. Let there be no hope to those who apostatize from the true religion. And let these heretics, however so many there be, perish in a moment. Well, young Saul, learning under a man like this, took this to heart. And we know that that young Saul became a terrorist. He terrorized Christians throughout the land of Israel. He hated the followers of this Jesus of Nazareth, who they say, his followers say, rose from the dead. Saul even stood there holding the coats, we find in the book of Acts. He was holding the coats during the killing of the very first Christian martyr, Stephen. Saul became enemy number one to the church. He would go from city to city, house to house, dragging people, out of their homes, out of these Christians out of their homes. And I can just imagine, as I've mentioned before, Saul probably all his life. I think later on in his life when he was talking about some of the things he was bothered by, saying, I'm, a chief, I'm the chief of sinners. I, I guarantee he went to bed at night sometimes replaying in his mind. Some of those moments when he would drag out the dad and the kids and mom were screaming and saying, no, please don't take him. And as he was dragging out these Christians into the streets to, to beat them. And, and, and imprison them. But on a trip to Damascus one day, this Saul was literally knocked off of his high horse. <laughs> God knocked him down. This young man, he accepted Jesus Christ. Jesus came to him in a powerful way. 
And after that day, he spent years studying the scriptures, hearing and, and uh, being taught by, from Jesus himself. And he became not enemy number one, but he became Christian number one. Some call him, the Apostle Paul, the greatest example of a fully surrendered, surrendered Christian ever. He went from Saul, which that man who he was named after was known for his pride. He, he went from Saul to a man named Paul. He changed his name to Paul, which means little. A show of his new humility in, in Jesus. After 20 years of ministry, traveling all over the place, just uh, witnessing, starting churches, and being beaten and almost killed so many times himself, he, in the city of Corinth, begins to write a letter. And this letter he called is to the, the church in Rome. We call it Romans. Interestingly, he had never been to Rome. And we're going to find that out here, that he greatly desired to be there. This is one of his great hopes in life. He couldn't wait to get to Rome and be there with them. So let's look now at what he says about himself. That's Paul. That's, now we know who is the human author here, and he begins. Here's how he describes himself, a servant of Jesus Christ. That word servant means, is the Greek word doulos. And uh, it does mean slave. It means a bond slave. And for Paul to write that, to the Romans, we got to remember, kind of put ourselves in that historical setting. Uh, to, uh, to a Roman, they look down on servants. They look down on slaves. To lose freedom is to lose dignity, they would say. But Paul would teach that he found, and this is in the book of Romans, that he found the greatest freedom in actually becoming a slave to Jesus Christ. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we've been having a wonderful class on Wednesday nights, our first steps uh, for new Christians class. And I was talking to our new believers there about a, a guy I had met recently who came and purchased some of our old chairs here, big Samoan guy. And we were talking a little bit, and uh, he was telling me his story and telling me how he had accepted Jesus Christ. And But it was interesting to me, one of the things he said, and it really just so blessed my heart as I just, you could just see the softness and the humility and the love in this man. He said, you know, I was in prison before I ever went to prison. And he said, ironically, I got saved in prison and became free while I was in prison. <laughs> and he's right. He's right. Romans will explain how that works. That the freest we could ever be is to be a slave of Jesus Christ. That's the freest a person could ever be. A slave to sin when you're bound by sin and you have to do what that sin tells you is a different story when you're free from that power of sin and now I am free to choose and I have the, the ability now to obey God. By the way, this is where we all should want to be here in our hearts. Uh, as Paul said, I am a willing bond slave. I am a doulos. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. That's what I want to be known by. That should be where all of our hearts should be this morning. I, just, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Whatever you want, Lord, I'm here. By the way, Paul was in very good company when he said this. Men like Moses were called the slave of God. David was called the slave of God. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a bad term <laughs> to be called a slave of God. But Paul also said next that he was an apostle. 
And this, he was now talking about his uh, authority that God had given him and placed uh, in him. To be an apostle was an office that God gave to only certain people. And God had put Paul in there. He was one, it means a sent one. And this, uh, Paul was uh, an apostle sent by God for God. An apostle, back then, there's three primary requirements. One, you had to be a witness of the resurrected Christ. The apostle Paul was on the Damascus, on the, on the road to Damascus. Number two, you, have been, you must have been explicitly chosen by the Holy Spirit. And that was certainly true of the apostle Paul. And then number three, you have the ability to perform signs and wonders. Those were the three that they looked at, really the tests of the office of an apostle. All those three fit with Paul. And so he had apostolic authority. So when he speaks now, when he gives this letter, when he sends this to, to the Romans, he is speaking for God. And, uh, and so listen up. Yes, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. That is who I am. But I'm also an apostle chosen by God. And look what it says next. Separated unto the gospel of God. The word gospel, it's an important word in the book of Romans throughout the whole Bible. But euangelon, Euangelion, I think is actually how it's said. Euangelion in Greek. It means good news, as we know, but it means good message, good tidings. The English word gospel actually comes from an Anglo-Saxon word, Godspell, which means good story, good story. Paul was separated or set apart by God to this one key job of telling all men in the world the greatest news the world has ever heard. The best, the, the, the good tidings, the good story, the good true story, how Jesus died, rose again to bring man in right relationship with God. This is what every man all over the world needs to hear, how you can be right with God. And this is the only way. Paul says, I am separated to that message. God has given me that, and I'm going to explain the ins and outs. And it's very obvious that God handpicked him to bring us the most in-depth and systematic understanding of how this salvation through Christ works. So that's the power that we're going to see here in the book of Romans. Verse 2, which he, then Paul adds, which he had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Now he's talking about the gospel. God had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scripture. This gospel he, that he was teaching is not something that, was, that Paul made up. It was not some new thing. Uh, the Romans and Greeks loved new teaching. Ooh, you got something new to share. Share it with us. Uh, but that's, Paul says right at the beginning, I am not sharing the newest rage in spiritual philosophy. That is not what I'm doing. In fact, this has been promised afore, before by the prophets and the Holy Scriptures. What I'm preaching is the same thing that the prophets said since day one. All I'm doing is I'm just bringing it to light. This was especially important to say because he knew that there were Jews in the audience, Jewish Christians, that really needed to understand how the gospel fit into the Old Testament scriptures. And, that's, and, that's, and what is the good news really all about? What's this gospel really all about? Verse three, concerning his son Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. So at the center of this gospel, Paul says, is the person of Jesus. 
When I talk about the gospel, I'm talking about uh, everything that concerns Jesus Christ, our Lord. It's, it's about him and what he did. It's the person of Jesus. The word concerning here is the, is the word peri, uh, which means about or around. It's where we get the word periscope, which they use on submarines and can go 360 degrees and in all directions. The point here is, in every direction, this gospel is about Jesus. 360 degrees you can go, this whole thing centers and concerns Jesus Christ himself. In, in other religions, you can take the leader of that faith out of it, out of their faith, and you still have their religion because you have uh, their beliefs, their doctrines, their understandings of things. But if you take Jesus out of the Christian faith, you no longer have the Christian faith because it's all built on what he did. His death, his burial, his resurrection, and the things that he did. And so it is all concerning Jesus Christ. Now who is Jesus Christ? He said he was made of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power. Paul is saying here that he is the son of God. He sees the son of God and he was also the son of David. Paul was giving us a very, a, an instant clue right at the beginning here. What I'm telling you is that Jesus is both God and he's man. He was the seed of God and he was the seed of David. He was 100% God, he was 100% man. And Paul says here that the resurrection was the greatest proof of this. <clears throat> Once Jesus came out of that grave, it was a declaration of his power and who he was. And so the resurrection changed everything. It should, here, here's the thing, here's how it should be. This is what it should be like. Once somebody comes in contact with the resurrection and understands what happened there, it should be obvious to that person, this is truly the Son of God with power. This is He. And that's what He's saying here. He's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. By whom, verse 5, that we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. Paul considered it the grace of Jesus that he would stop him dead in his tracks on the Damascus road and save him. And then, not only just save him and give him eternal life, but then put him into the ministry. And this ministry of apostleship, Paul was just dumbfounded by this. And what was this ministry of apostleship all about? Well, he says it here. It's for the obedience to the faith among all nations for his name. In other words, my life, my calling as an apostle is to help people obey the gospel in faith or by faith. See, Paul and Peter later both spoke about this sense in which faith is actually really just obedience to God. Uh, how so? Well, God says that to God says and commands really people all where uh, everywhere to repent, all men everywhere to repent. He says, "Trust in me for your salvation." So really, we just need to obey that. <laughs> we just need to trust Him. We need to repent and come to Christ. But the only way we can really obey is through faith. That's how we obey through our just simple trust and receiving His gift of salvation. And notice Paul is careful to say that this is something for all nations. All nations. This is very important. In other words, Paul is saying all Gentile nations. This is for the Gentile nations. Paul was saying that God has placed a special calling on me, especially, to reach the Gentiles with this message 
I'm here to reach all people, but in particular, the Gentiles. Verse six, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Remember, he's writing a letter to the Roman church, people in Rome who were believers, and he encourages these believers in Rome, and he says, you are the called of Jesus Christ. Paul didn't want any Gentile to think that he or she was an afterthought to God. No, you're not. No, you are not an afterthought. You are called by, by Jesus. The Jews were called in a certain way, yes, and we're going to look at that, in, especially in chapters 9 through 11. But you Gentiles are called also. So don't forget that. And by the way, the church in Rome was probably made up at this moment, when he's writing, mostly of Gentiles. Um, in fact, several years prior to this, uh, Caesar had all the Jews removed from Rome. In fact, Aquila and Priscilla, friends of Paul, were cast out of Rome because they were Jews, or he was a Jew. And, and later, though, a few years later, the Jews were allowed back into Rome. But I'm sure during that time, you know, you have a group of Christians here, and there's Jewish Christians and Gentile Christians, and then the Jewish population in your church had to leave Rome. But now some of them have come back, but, uh, but they, I'm sure those churches had lost many of the Jews uh, through that whole situation. And that leads us to that some scholars think that that really, that concept provides a very interesting and a good backdrop to the book of Romans. Because there's a, there was a Jew-Gentile relationship going on inside the church. And everybody's trying to figure out how a true understanding uh, what are we supposed to think about this? And, and Paul is saying a true understanding of the gospel, if I'll outline this whole thing for you and I'll deliver this whole thing to you, you'll understand how it all fits together. And, the, and you, when we understand the gospel, we understand what God has planned from the very beginning, you'll see that we're all meant to be together here in Christ following him. So Paul, the Jewish Christian, he has great fondness for this church. He's never visited them, but he can't wait to get there. So number two, the Roman church and its famous faith. Look at this, verse seven. Paul says, to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I want everybody to think about this for just a minute. Uh, it's well accepted among scholars that the church in Rome was not started by an apostle. The, Paul did not start the church in Rome. In fact, we don't, it, it's not even apparent that any of the apostles had gone to Rome before this. So who started this church? Well, one clue we have as to who maybe started this church in Rome or churches that were now meeting in Rome were some Roman people Roman Jewish people probably, in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. The Bible says there were Romans there. And that day they came and 3,000 people got saved under the preaching of Peter. There was a great mighty rushing wind, the speaking of tongues on that day, and all of that. Well, these Romans very likely took with them that gospel back to Rome, and they started a church. Somebody started a church. But I love this, this now Paul is saying this is your faith in this church here in Rome is known throughout the whole world. This is a great, healthy church. They, they started 
from just some believers who took the gospel home, got this thing going. Somehow they started, they ordained pastors, they got letters from the apostles to clarify doctrine and what they're supposed to believe and do. They grew in faith, they grew in numbers. They eventually become this strong and influential and well-known church. Paul had met some of them on his travels. We know that because in Romans chapter 16, he names some of them there. And others he just knew by reputation. These are some great men and women of the faith. And we don't know all their names, but I sometimes just imagine what it would have been like to be in a church like that. Just starting out in this amazing big place like Rome. We don't know all these people's names, but what great believers. And I think of all the people right now all over the world who are in churches today, reaching people in their corner of the world. Um, I'm, grateful, I'm grateful for the big popular churches and that preach the word and stay faithful. And these, these guys that we see on TV and all that, I'm grateful for that. But honestly, I'm even more grateful for the, the guys that nobody knows about and the little churches that nobody thinks about all over the world that are just loving people and serving people and people are coming to Christ and they're coming to a church and church members are just loving on each other and lifting each other in the faith. What a, what a powerful thing. Verse nine, for God is my witness, Paul says, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. There's what we should be doing right there. Making mention of churches and church planters all over the world in our prayers. That's what we should be doing. Verse 10, making request, if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. To the end, you may be established. He, he, he repeats that again at the very end of the book of Romans and he, this is something that Paul was really trying to do, to get there so that he could impart unto them some spiritual gift that, that they would be established. What he's saying is that he hoped that his presence, his coming, and his preaching would be a spiritual blessing to them. That he would just give them something uh, like a gift that they could enjoy, a spiritual lift in their faith that would make them even stronger and establish them in this great faith. By the way, that's what I love about these, these guest preachers and others who come. Uh, we get such a gift from them. Uh, in our spirits. And honestly, this is what we preachers try to do every week for the faithful believers that we love. You, you know, impart some spiritual gift to the end that you would be and I would be established. But Paul, see here, didn't want to just give a blessing. He knew that they, these people, this church would be a blessing back to him. Look what he says in verse 12. That is that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me, Again, that's how I feel around here, that's for sure. I am comforted just as much by your faith. Verse 13, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let, or not allowed, hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. You know, he had tried to come many times to Rome, but there were things that kept hindering him. Perhaps he meant spiritual forces that were working against him. You know, but he, he saw these as hindrances, these things that were trying to stop him from coming and being a, a blessing and then bearing sp spiritual fruit there in Rome. But here's the interesting part. 
uh, Paul would eventually go to Rome. God would answer his prayers, but probably not at all in the way he planned. And isn't that how God works sometimes? See, Paul did eventually get to Rome, ironically, but he came as a, sh- as a prisoner, a shipwrecked prisoner, a-, a prisoner of the Roman Empire. See, after being arrested in one town, uh, he appealed to Caesar as a Roman citizen, and so it took a while, but they eventually put him on a ship and shipped him to Rome. He came to Rome in chains. <laughs> That's probably not what Paul was thinking was going to happen. But he also came, think about this, at the expense of the Roman government. And by being a prisoner, he was in Rome's custody. Therefore, he would be able to be close to Caesar's household. He probably never would have been able to be as close to the inner workings of the governmental people had he not been a prisoner. Paul's prayers would be answered, but not in the way that he anticipated. That's a good thing for us to remember. We may be praying for something. God may just answer it in a different way. But why did Paul have such a deep desire to go to Rome? I think we see his heart in the next verse, verse 14. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Paul felt a great debt to preach the gospel to all people. Why? Well, because I think what he's saying is because when Jesus saves you and he calls you into the ministry of, the, of apostleship or any kind of ministry or any believer, when he gives us a great commission, you feel indebted. You feel indebted to Jesus and you feel indebted to your human man, your fellow man, that you can't not go. I can't not tell. I can't not do something for somebody I have to get this out to somebody. And Paul, it was just a big weight to him. All the things I've done to hurt Christians and hurt people, and now there is this great weight for me. Jesus has saved me. He's taking me to heaven. I know what he's done for me, and I feel obligated and in debt to tell others. And he says in particular, God called me to the Gentiles, again, and the Greeks and the barbarians, he mentions. This was a common term back then, so it's not Paul being politically incorrect. (laughs) Greeks was the term for a more cultured person. Barbarian was a term for someone who didn't speak the Greek language. They spoke words that sounded like, to them, to the Greek-speaking people, bar, 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 bar. And that's where the word barbarians comes from. Um, the The point is that there was not a person on the planet that Paul did not feel indebted to. Greeks, barbarians, wise, unwise, you know, all sizes, everyone. I'm called, I feel indebted to tell you about the gospel. I have the medicine and you're sick and I feel indebted to bring this medicine to you. I owe it to you. I owe it to you. And sometimes I get that feeling here and I'll be, I'll be in my office and I'm glad that my office faces out to West Lane because I'll sometimes just turn my chair around and look out the window and see the cars flying by. And I look at the cars driving by and I often think, we can help you, we can help you, (laughs) we can help you, we can help you. And I think, Lord, help us, help them. I feel obligated to do all that we can to help that person, that person, and that person. Uh, Lord, help us to help these people. 
And that leads us to the theme of Paul's whole letter here, and that's number three, the glorious gospel and its saving power. This is what Romans is all about. If you had to pick theme verses for this entire book, it's probably Romans 1, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Now why would Paul even need to say that he was not ashamed? What was there to be ashamed of? Well, (laughs) this is a message that we're talking about, about a 30-year-old carpenter from Nazareth who claimed to be God and then was tried and executed by the Roman government. The Romans didn't have much respect for him. The Jewish community hated Jesus and hated the people who called themselves Christians. The Greeks, the Bible tells us, thought that their message was foolishness. But Paul was not ashamed because he knew that this. once you understand this, it is the greatest news ever. And it comes with the power of God to save you from your sins if you'll believe and only believe. What a great statement. It's the power of God to salvation. You know, the gospel certainly is news. It's a message. But it's more than just information. It's, it has some kind of supernatural power. Well, I love what Henry Morris said. The gospel is not advice to people suggesting that they lift themselves. It is power. It lifts them up. Paul does not say that the gospel brings power, but that it is power, and God's power at that. So by the way, you cannot see how powerful and how good the news is until you understand the bad news. And Paul's gonna go on next to begin talking about the bad news for a couple chapters. And that is really what we have to grasp. Had a great soul winning opportunity this week about somebody, maybe I'll share it next week for time's sake. We're just thinking we have to know the bad news first. And then how does this gospel function for all who believe? Here's the summary statement, verse 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed. This is, we're talking about the gospel now. For therein is the righteousness of gospel revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, The just shall live by faith. The just means the righteous. This is the verse that caught hold of Martin Luther. No more climbing up steps on my knees. I never have to worry about that again. No more going to confession to try and appease my overwhelming guilt. I don't have to do that. No more trusting in my own righteousness to try to get me to heaven. Why? Because the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Because the Bible says in the Old Testament, in the book of Habakkuk, the just shall live by faith, not by works. The righteous can only have eternal life through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death, his burial, his resurrection. That's what Romans is all about. And how faith is the key that unlocks the righteousness of God. This letter is going to explain all of that, how the Bible points us to this. But I just want to say as we end, I remember some dear, our dear missionary friends, Uh, The Del Rosarios who now serve in the Philippines, Norma Del Rosario, she would talk about these very truths that really just set her free. She was a Catholic for so many years, trying to earn heaven. And it was just so much of a weight until she understood that Jesus, the gospel, is the power to salvation. Not my own works, not my own things that I do. 
And thank the Lord for this life-changing truth that so many of us have seen, and we need to keep sharing it. Lord, we thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. From all of us here at The Home Church in Lodi, California, thank you for joining us.